If you're an entrepreneur and you wish to excel in entrepreneurship, then you need to be totally focused. And being focused, you make the right decision and not decision off of uncontrollable emotions. Welcome to the Thought Leader Revolution with Nikki Ballou. Join the revolution. There's never been a better time in history to speak your truth, find your freedom, and make your fortune. Each week, we interview the world's top thought leaders and learn the secrets of how they built a six to seven figure practice. This episode has been brought to you by eCircleAcademy.com, the proven system to add six to seven figures a year to your thought leader practice. Welcome to another exciting episode of the podcast, The Thought Leader Revolution. I'm your host, Nikki Ballou, and boy, do we have an incredible guest lined up for you today. Today's guest is a dear friend of two great friends of mine, uh, Ernest Emerson and Curtis Ayavito. This gentleman is someone who came to the United States escaping from tyranny with his family when he was a young man. His story in that respect is a bit, a little bit like my own, although I came to Canada. He went on to become a, uh, uh, a member of the United States Green Beret and the Special Forces. This man has seen action. This is a man who then retired from the military and started his own company and has turned it into a huge success. The name of his company is Ronin Tactics. And I'm speaking, of course, of none other than the one, the only, the legendary Two Lamb. Welcome to the show, Two. Hi, Gazinus. Thank you for having me on. Man, it's an honor to have you here, brother. It's an honor to have you here. So I've been following you and the work that you do for a while myself. And I'm I'm pumped and excited to have you share your message and who you're all about with my audience. Let me tell you a little bit about my audience. They tend to be the men and women who have a dream of entrepreneurship. They believe in freedom, in free expression and free enterprise. And they listen to this show to learn something from my guests that will A, inspire them, and B, give them what they need to be able to go out there and fight the battles they need to fight to be successful in the marketplace of ideas, in the marketplace of products and services. So before they can really open their hearts to you, they need to get to know you a little bit. Tell us your backstory. How'd you get to be the great two lamb? You know, I always feel like a philosophy, we should follow a philosophy in life, you know, and uh, a journey of a thousand miles began with a single step. And my first steps was one of war. I was born on the basement floor, a cold cement floor. My mother shielded my body from incoming artillery fire my morning my birth. At this stage of the war, um, you know, the, the Americans have left Vietnam and I was born on the losing side of the war. You know, at three years old, I lost my freedoms to the communist regime. My uncles that served alongside the military were uh, somewhere executed and the other ones were brought out into re-education camps where, um, where these are torture camps. Um, we lived in oppression for, uh, for many years. And uh, at three years old, uh, we escaped on a overstuffed wind fishing boat. Now, this boat should fit about 40 people. That night, we were fitting around 100 refugees. We were only one boat out of the thousands of boats leaving. And because thousands of desperate refugees were trying to escape, that brought in the pietry and the bandits from surrounding countries. And these pirates would stop our boats, um, board the boats, kill the men, rape the women, and torture the children. A lot of children would be sold into slavery, uh, drug trades, piety. 
Uh, somehow we we navigated uh, past the pirates and we made our way into Malaysia, where the Coptics did not want any more refugees in their country. And they roped our boats and forcefully pulled our boat back out into the ocean, shot the motor and uh, cut the lines and they left us there to die. What turned out to be a two-day trip to um, to Malaysia now turned to be a desperate survival situation. We were just a fishing boat now bobbing out in the middle of the South China Sea. You know, my mother said that, you know, um, people were dying. People were getting thrown over, over the boats. People were sick. Um, we, we had lack of food and water because, you know, they planned it for a two-day trip. Um, my mother did carry poison in her belongings. Um, this was common practice amongst fleeing refugees to poison their children when the journey ends so that their children may not suffer a painful death. Um, my mother told me this story, you know, we were drifting out in the ocean um, and one night, you know, she started losing hope. And my brother and I were sleeping and um, she woke my brother up. You know, she had this poison in her hands and she she woke my brother up because she contemplated on, on um, killing us that night because we were drifting out in the oceans for over 30 you know around 30 days and we're starting we're dying our our legs were full of ulcers um we were malnourished we didn't eat you know we were dehydrated you know my mother said that when she looked at us that night we were dying you know she didn't want us to suffer anymore so she woke my brother up that night and she told me that um she gave him the last bucket of water we had, it was just a very small amount. And, she, and he drank it and, um, and she woke me up and I drank the, the, the remaining water. She said that she she planned on poisoning us, you know, during that moment, but she she decided um, she, she wasn't strong enough. You know, she didn't have the power to. And thank God she didn't because she prayed at night to God. And, you know, a storm came in, a huge tropical storm came in and washed us further out into the South China Sea, you know, and to save their lives. Because um, later on that day, um, the supply boat was coming out of Vietnam and it, it found us. Like, let me put this to your, um, to your audience is that, you know, the South China Sea is a vast ocean. And for us to get caught up in the storm and to wash us, into the, the supply route of a Russian supply boat is really slim to none. So that is a, um, a God story if I, if I ever uh, heard one. You know, and the Russian supply boat, this is the same ideology that took us out of our country, the same communist ide ideology that imprisoned my uncles and killed my family. And, you know, these, these communists could have looked upon us as we were an enemy. But this crew, you know, they chose humanity and they rescued us and they, they provided uh, medical aid and they took us into uh, Indonesia to a refugee camp. You know, looking back now, you know, that was a very vulnerable state in my life. And, you know, from two to four, you know, everything is um, you, you interpret everything as a child through your subconscious. There's no analytical interpretation. So if you think about it, that was truly my first lesson in humanity. You know, that not everybody is uh, is evil, you know? So they, they dropped us off in a 
Indonesian uh, refugee camp. And what I want to paint this picture is that this refugee camp, it was a plot of land in the middle of the jungle. You lived in a grass hut and you survive on your own off the land. There are aid workers that come in to try to help us, but people were murdered. People were raped, drugged in the jungles and killed. It was just a desperate survival situation. And, you know, my family and I, uh, my mother, my biological father, my brother and I, we lived there for a year and a half. And I asked my mother, why, why, mom, you know, why a year and a half, you know? And she told me that before our escape, my grandfather who funded our escape, he, he told my mother that if we were to survive this escape, that we need to do everything we can to become Americans. Because during the war, my, uh, my aunt she married a American Special Forces Green Beret. He was a Green Beret. He was a uh, Special Forces officer, and his G-base got overran, and he got stabbed by SKS Bayonet. They medevaced him out, and he ended up marrying my aunt, and they moved to the States. So for a year and a half, we waited, and um, finally my uncle, he sponsored the paperwork for us to get to America. So I was about five and a half years old when I got to America. You know, let me let me paint this picture is, you know, America during that time, it was a very racist time, especially around Fayetteville, North Carolina, which my uncle was a Special Forces Green Beret for Bragg, North Carolina is the home of the Special Forces. You know, that's the uh, the headquarters. That's where all the students get go there to become Special Forces Green Berets. And my uncle, he was stationed there. So my first um town that I lived in was a Fayetteville, a small town right outside of Fort Bragg. There's more commandos walking around that town than any other town in all of America. You know, and, and during that time, you know, it was just very racist because the Vietnam War was a very unpopular war. And, you know, my family, we were the image of an unpopular war. Um, people asked me, you know, how was it like when I first came to America? You know, we lived with my uncle. He was a uh, an officer uh, in the special forces. So I never lived in a house, you know, that big. And, you know, I never ate every single day because we starved, you know? So, um, I was just trying to like, just adapt myself to this lifestyle. You know, now people ask me too, what was your first memories as a child? What was, what was it like, you know? And my mother, she took me to a grocery store and I remember it was this, this day where it's just me and my mom, you know, and I was so happy that I get to hang out with my mom that day. And she took me to this grocery store and the endless rolls of food. You know, that doesn't mean anything to Americans, but let me tell you what it means to me and my family. When you starve and when you watch people die from starvation, endless rolls of food means the world to you. And I looked at my mom and I was so happy that day because my mom was so happy that we're not starving. We're, we're free now, you know. And we walked over to our car and she started loading groceries and this old man came up to me and he spit in my face. He flicked my mom off and he told us that we didn't belong here. We needed to go back home to our country. That was my first memory as a child. Then, you know, we we eventually moved out of my um, uncle's home and we lived in a very poor part of town in a very small apartment. You know, we're very poor. And um, we were so poor that, you know, we did go those days without eating. You know, my mom gave us all the food, and you know, she had, and my, my father gave us the food they had. So they went more days starving than we did, but we did go start, you know, days starving. 
And, you know, we didn't have that much money, but my aunt, you know, um, gave us clothes and, you know, we had donations. And, you know, what, what I found was that, you know, there was holes in these clothes and holes in the shoes. And, you know, my mother would stay up late at night and, and fix the holes and fix our shoes so we can go to school. You know, and, and when I first went to school, I realized how much hate there is for the Vietnamese. You know, and I was bullied. And I was reminded every single day I was poor. It was a very hard time in my life. Father and mother, they, they divorced. And, um, you know, we, we, uh, we almost became homeless. You know, we were struggling. And eventually my mother uh, met my uh, my stepfather, who was an American Special Forces Green Beret. And, uh, you know, he's the kind of man he took us in. You know, he took care of us. Um, but I would tell you that, you know, because he was a Special Forces Green Beret and he was an ex-drill sergeant in the Army, uh, we, it was a very strict upbringing. It was very hard for me. You know, I was eight years old and going from zero discipline to now waking up at 4.30 in the morning and raising the American flag and putting your hands in your heart, you know, and resign what it means to be American. You know, I didn't have that level of discipline. I struggled. I struggled, you know. And um, I didn't hear from my father for a year, you know, my biological father after he left us. And my mother came in with a box. And uh, she said, this is from your father. And, you know, I was very hurt that he left us. And, you know, although I love my stepfather, which is very hard for me, um, to go through my parents' divorce, you know, it was just a very hard time. And my mother said, this is from your father. And I haven't heard from him for over a year. So I didn't know how to take it, you know, and I, I took this box and I put it across the room. You know, later on that night, I had the courage to open up a box. And within that box, there was four contents. It's four VHS tapes, you know. It was written in Vietnamese and these are dub tapes. And, you know, I didn't know how to read Vietnamese. So I randomly just picked a tape and I threw it in a VCR. And I would, that video was the art of Budo. And let me explain what the art of Budo is. Budo is samurai. It's to be a warrior. It's to walk this path of Bushido, the way. To live a life of purpose through discipline. And, you know, you, you got to understand, Nikki, I was very weak at that time. I, you know, I, I, I saw my uncles die. You know, I saw people die in front of me. I escaped from Vietnam. I, you know, I saw the, the worst in humanity, you know, and I was picked on. I was spit on. And, you know, so I was a very uh, weak boy, a boy that seeks strength in the way Bushido. I romanticize over this life of a warrior, you know. But how, you know, at eight years old, how? And the other three tapes were Bruce Lee tapes, you know? That's why I'm a big fan of Bruce Lee. Love Bruce Lee. Thank you. He is an amazing human being. Yes. So growing up, you know, I was very much into the martial arts, but I struggled with discipline. I struggled with uh, being picked on and bullied in school. My stepfather, he taught me discipline. You know, this discipline I used for the rest of my life, but at that age, it was very difficult for me. So I would tell you, there was a turning point in my life. You know, it came at 11 years old. You know, my uncle who sponsored our paperwork, these American Special Forces, he picked me up and he um, wanted to spend uh, uncle and nephew time. You know, this was a normal thing, but 
my uncle must have known there was something wrong with me on this day. And as he was driving me to Dairy Queen, my uncle, out of the blue, he said, you know, too, you know, there'll be days, you know, I was 11 years old. There'll be days that people will spit at you. They'll flick you off. You know, tell you you don't belong here. And you need to ask yourself, do you want to be a fucking commando today? You know, when your bones ache and you're hurting and you know you need to drive on to finish this mission and you want to give up, you need to ask yourself, do you want to be a commando today? And the days that it's raining and it's cold outside, you know you need to get up and run 10 miles because that's the thing to do. You need to ask yourself, do you want to be a fucking commando today? Let me, let me explain you, Nathan. You know how deep that was for me at 11 years old. A weak boy, bullied, ridiculed, with the mindset of a higher purpose to weigh, didn't know how to get there at all. You know, my uncle reminded me that a commando, the special forces, my stepfather reminding me every single day through his actions, the special forces, freeze the oppressed, de oppress the liberator, to live a life of discipline, a commando, you know? Later on that year, you know, my mother um, would drive across town and she would deliver food to the needy. My mother has a very caring heart, you know, and we would spend hours driving and, you know, it just burns up the whole day. And I was so frustrated. I was 11. So I told my mother, why, why do we do this? They don't even appreciate you. My mother stopped the car and she told me that um, no matter the conditions and circumstances that we can't, we must help others. And in doing so, we create a better world. Mm. Wow. You know, what was really unique was from eight to 12, you know, I doctrinated in this world of special forces. You know, my stepfather was special forces. My uncle was special forces. I didn't really have friends. All the, you know, the, my father's teammates would come by. So I was indoctrinated into this life. I knew the special forces mission. The free to oppress. The free to enslave. If I can be this human being, if I could be this force to go around the world and to fight for those oppressed, to fight for, you know, the, the very fabric of my family, where we came from, oppression, you know, the nest away. That's Bushido, you know, and I put it all together at that young age. And I wanted a life of um, a meaning, you know, a purpose. So I continue on with my education and discipline. And, um, you know, I still struggle with racism and being bullied and picked on. Um, it wasn't until when I was uh, 16, I started uh, my training. Training got really intense for me, you know, um, physical training. I need to adapt my body and mind for um, what's to come, special forces. You know, at 18, I, I enlisted in the military. And, you know, my mother, it broke her heart. I remember she cried all night. You know, when my mother found out I listed in the military, she didn't want a life war for me. You know, my mother, she was born in war herself. You know, what people don't understand is the Vietnam War, by the time the Americans hit, they, the Vietnamese people were already 10 years into the war. Easily, yeah. 
By the time the war ended for my parents, they are already at 19 years of war. My mother never wanted that for me. And here I am. I wanted to be a warrior, a commando, you know? So I graduated um, from high school. And uh, I remember this. We were out in the parking lot. And I was holding my little sister, you know? She was very young at the time. And my mother was so happy. She cooked, cooked a uh, dinner for us. And she wanted to celebrate education and me graduating. And I told my mother, you know, I appreciate her. And I love you, mother. And I handed her the diploma and I said, but I have to leave. And she said, what do you mean? I said, the man that's, you know, standing over there by the car in the parking lot, he's a recruiter. My bag's already packed. And I'm going to the bus station tonight to catch a ride to go to basic training. She cried. And I promised my mother that, you know, I know that you gave up everything for us to have a higher level education. I promise you. Now I graduate from college, even though I'm joining the military. So I kissed my mother goodbye. I went to basic training. You know, back then it wasn't uh, any direct uh, entry into the special forces. You had to be either the rank of E5 or five years. Uh, so I enlisted into the 82nd Airborne Division that put me back at Fort Bragg, North Carolina. I was a young paratrooper. Uh, went to Ranger uh you know, school and a lot of the other uh, advanced infantry training and eventually made my way into the long range reconnaissance team, which was a part of a um, amphibious reconnaissance uh, long range team. Uh, I did, you know, some missions there uh, um, uh, across the border, near the border of Mexico, working with JTF six missions. And um, I made the rank of V5. And then uh, I put in my pack for the special forces at 20. And um, I went through the weapons uh, course and language course, the, the pipelines, you know, for the special forces. And eventually I made my way into the special forces 18 and 21 years old for deployed Okinawa, Japan. Um, you know, I, I was part of a, a, a CSAR team. That's a combat search and rescue team. At first, our mission was to uh, conduct um offsets to rescue down pilots in case they're, they're, uh, they get shot down in North Korea. Um, North Korea was a huge uh, threat when I first came to uh, Okinawa, Japan, to Special Forces A teams because they had uh, no-dong missiles that can strike America at that time, and uh, they had a dictator that was uh, erratic. So uh, we trained uh, a lot, and uh, eventually I made my way to uh, a counter-terrorist uh, hostage rescue direct action uh, type of role within um, the special forces. Um, and, you know, my hobbies in, in Okinawa, I, Curtis, uh, our mutual friend, Curtis uh, Lovato uh, will tell you, he, he owns uh, Spartan Blaze now, but he was a senior sniper uh, when I first came to um, the crisis response company, which was uh, specialized in direct action uh, fit operations. But he was a senior to me. And, um, you know, I learned a lot from Curtis, but, you know, some of the things that Curtis would tell you, I was a big fighter in uh, Okinawa, Japan. You know, um, during that time, you know, UFC was really popular, but, um, you know, I was a martial artist. You know, I've been a martial artist since I was eight years old. So uh, being in Okinawa, Japan, I was learning pure forms of uh, of martial arts, you know, the, the very roots and the uh, the birthplace of these some of these practices. So I, I took advantage of that. And uh, I was driving down um, 
Okinawa and I was going towards uh, uh, Marine Base Camp Foster and I saw this sign that says a tough man contest, you know? So I'm like, what's that about? Now I walked in there and there was these Marines fighting in a tough man match. And I, I, I asked the, the the guy who was uh, hosting the event, I said, can a uh, army guy fight in these men? He goes, any, any uh, active duty can fight. So I did. I fought that night. And I fought every night after, after that. And, um, you know, I became very successful, you know, in fighting. And then there was a fight promoter in Japan that wanted to, uh, obviously he came up to me during fight night and he said, uh, Hey, would you be interested in fighting off base? So I did, you know, and I found myself fighting in these, uh, underground matches, you know, it was, uh, it was underground matches, but you know, um, I wasn't part of the gang or anything. I just wanted to fight, man. I was full of fire as a warrior, you know, and I, and, now that I'm older, I, I understand why, you know, that energy was there because, you know, my, the energy that I had uh, escaping Vietnam and, and fighting racism, you know, I had that, that fire in me, you know. Yeah. Um, eventually, you know, I received a, um, a packet uh, to a special missions unit where um, I got hired on as the, initially as the combatives instructor um, for a tier one unit. I did a little bit of time doing that, and then I transferred over to Special Reconnaissance. Um, that's where it got really classified. Uh, I did travel around the world. Um, eventually, uh, I made my way into Africa, uh, and that's where you know I had I had some issues, you know, with with me, you know, internally. Uh, at that point, I was at fourteen and a half years of war and conflict, you know, and um, you know, and that's just that it caught up with me then, you know, the depression. That's what I know is first. Um, uh, in 05, I got hit by an IED and I was uh, prescribed, you know, painkillers. And, and what I, I found was these painkillers, um, yeah, they, they help out my pain, but they also they messed me from the realities of the world, you know. And I, at, at that point, I, I just seen worse in humanity, you know, not just, you know, being in the military, but, you know, my upbringing and, you know, my birthplace. I just saw the worst. And um, I numbed myself with these painkillers and, and I became an addict, you know? So when I came into uh, the Horn of Africa, I was really in a bad place. Let me put you in this place, you know, I was doing uh, counter-pulsing operations. We were fighting uh, the Chad rebels uh, up in Buna Majida. And uh, they, these Chad rebels will go in, they'll, they'll kill the wildlife to fund their terrorist training camps. And we were working with the commandos, uh, the Cameroon commandos. And I was uh, about to go on a combat patrol that morning. And, um, you know, I was just sitting outside and drinking chai tea, you know, in front of my, my tent. And you ever, you ever been present, man? You ever been in a moment where, you know, there's no pain, there's no emotions, there's no, there's no addictions? You know, that's where I was, you know, I was there in that present moment. And I knew, I knew that it was going to go away, you know. So I, I, I pulled out of my bag, you know, my notebook, because I write journals and I draw uh, places of where I've been, you know. And I wrote the word peace. Hmm. Because that was my new journey. So I finished my... Uh, my missions there. And then afterwards I went into uh, South Africa where I'd done uh, 
I was part of the counter assault team with the Secret Service, protecting our former president, you know, um, Obama. And at that point, man, I was just kind of spiraling. I was spiraling out of control. I was just wasn't there anymore. And um, so I came back and I uh, I put in for uh, at, at this point, I was at 23 years and I put in for my retirement and um, and I got out. I mean, let me put you where I was, you know, mentally I was. Uh, I was defeated. You know, I was lost. You know, um, I didn't have a purpose anymore. And I was uh, an addict. You know, so um, my my wife, you know, she works up in Denver uh, and she would drive every morning to go to her work. And my, my wife was very successful, uh, master's degree, you know, manager position. And here I was, 23 years, veteran, commando. Special Forces laying in bed all day in a dark room. Didn't have the energy to get out of bed. And I thought it was really, you know, combat fatigue. You know, I, I, I've been doing it for so long. Um, but it concerned me so much that, you know, I, I Google search. You know, the one thing about Special Forces guy, he's a very intelligent human being. So I started doing uh, Google searches on why I was feeling this way, fatigue, post-war. Depression popped up. And I'm like, oh no, it can't be that. So then I, I re-googled reasons for laying in a dark room post-military depression. So, you know, I went to a, a, a doctor and I uh I talked to the doctor and he said, Look, son, you know, it's normal. You know, you saw this amount of combat, you were in these type of units. You know, I, I think that you have, you know, depression. So here are these antidepressants. So I went home, you know, and I was looking at these antidepressants. And that, that was the thing, Nikki, is that in, in the military, in, in today's society, in this Western cultural world, man, we, we look at medications and we take this, these pills and everything, you have to understand, everything comes from the outside. It comes from the outside to make you feel and how you should feel on the inside. What a what a horrible way to think. You know, I thought about that and I, I took I remember I took those antidepressants, you know, and I, I threw it in the cabinet. And the next morning I woke up and I you you ever woke up and you ever looked in the mirror and you look you said to yourself, I hate you? Yep, once or twice. <laughs> I, I looked in the mirror that morning and I said, I hate you. Why why did this path that you you know this this higher purpose how how did you end up here in this dark place you know and i I, and i i took total responsibility for what happened to me you know and i uh i i opened up that medicine cabinet because i i had rage in my body and i took all those medicine i dumped it down the toilet and i flushed the toilet you know let me, let me explain to you, if you were on antidepressants and painkillers and sleeping pills and all this, you know, which I was on, it was just painkillers at this point, and you dump it all, let me, let me tell you what happens. The weight of the world, because that chemical wall that you built is gone. And that reality that you held out for so long, so many years, is going to hit you in full force at every angle with the withdrawals and the shivers and the stomach aches and the vomiting. Let me explain to you 
that's needed. Pain is needed. Suffering is needed. If you ever want to be anything great in life, you need to walk through the valley of darkness. Amen. And if you want to find a light, then you need to find a light within yourself. You know, and I forgot that. So, you know, there was one day, you know, I was, uh, I was suffering withdrawals. I was shivering. I was shaking. My stomach was aching. My bones felt like it was going to crack. I had this blanket wrapped around me. My wife was working up in Denver. I was sitting on the couch watching a TV that was off. A voice came in my mind and said, get up. And I got up. And this voice told me to walk. And I walked in this dark house, you know. Somehow I ended up downstairs in my office. I'm a big reader, you know. Always have been. Big student to life and education. Huge library of books I collect around the world, being a warrior and samurai, you know. And um, so I was standing in front of a bookcase and somehow this, this voice told me to open up this bookcase. You know, I have this vast library of books and I just reached in and I picked up one book and it was the Book of Five Rings by Miyamoto Masashi. Know it well. So, you know, he was a ronin. Was. And he was born in the late 1500s. He died in 645, 10 days after writing the Book of Five Rings, where he meditated in a Buddhist cave. This Ronin, the samurai, you know, was everything I wanted to be when I was a philosopher, a warrior, balanced, you know. And Miyamoto Masashi, he says, you know, when I opened up the Book of Five Rings, Miyamoto reminded me that everything exists, all your love, all your strength, all your compassion, everything exists inside of you. Look nowhere else. You know, at that point, I was looking for everywhere else. I was looking in the pills. I was looking in my wife. I was looking in the world. So um, I realized that I lost my way. You know, I found myself when I was 11 years old, you know, I found that strength, that power within, and somehow I lost that answer. But the answer was found when I was 11. So what I realized I needed to do is I needed to do what made me successful when I was 11. I needed to build a life of discipline again. And what is this new structure of discipline is going to look like? If one seeks happiness, then you need to find the energy that's going to allow you happiness, you know? And as a warrior, the only energy that I thrived on when I was in active duty was the knowledge of warfare and combat. And warfare and combat would never allow you happiness. It would never allow you gratitude. So the first thing I did to heal myself was um, I reached out to God. And uh, then I forgave myself my mistakes. And um, I worked hard each day to build this discipline. Let me explain to you what this discipline looks like. I wake up every morning at 4.30 in the morning before the even sun comes up and I sit in this dark place, you know. And I'm so present in a moment. And I, I show gratitude just to be alive that morning. Life. And as the sun comes up, 
as it breaks the terrain, I thank God for that day. You know, I connect with God and I meditate. I meditate for 45 minutes and I connect with God. And then I go into physical training, three hours of physical training. And that happens before I even start my day, which is nine o'clock. You see what I'm saying? So what I'm saying to you is you're not going to find happiness and fulfillment by focusing on the externals. You see, the externals is money, fame, addictions, you know? So every day I would focus on myself and I would write down issues that I had that day. You know, when I was in the Special Forces, we had to do uh, mountain warfare training, right? And we were up in the Kashmir Jammu area uh, near border of Pakistan and China and India. There's border war conflicts in the area. So uh, there, there are uh, shelling and mortaring and artillery fire in that area. And here we are doing mountain warfare training, you know? And I was at 18,500 feet, 18,500 feet. That, you literally have to wear oxygen. You have to carry oxygen tanks up there. You're, the air is so thin. So here I am, samurai, right? All my teammates, you know, they want to rest on the weekends after training a week in this modern day samurai who believes in the code and the way. I had to go talk to a Tibetan monk. So I drove hours to go talk to this Tibetan monk. It was after my time in conflict in the Philippines. We lost some teammates there. So I had a linguist with me and uh, we went into this temple and this, this monk, he was so happy to see me, you know? And I asked the linguist to, uh, to translate for me. I, I needed the monk to explain to me that, why is the world so cruel? You know, that's a legitimate question for me. I was born in war. My family is ripped apart, spit on racism, you know, fought wars. Why is the world so cruel, monk? And a monk pulled me out back into the courtyard. He took the stick. He drew a circle on the ground. He took these two sacks. One sack was full of white rocks and one was full of black rocks. And he said for many years, he would sit out here every single day. And he would take inventory of his thoughts. And when he has a bad thought, he would cast this black rock. And when he had a good thought, he would cast a white rock. For many years, it was all black rocks. And I asked the monk, how long? And he said for many years. Around the third year, he cast a white rock. And then now, it's all white. And I said, wow, what changed? He says, see, the world is so cruel because people are unaware of what their mind is thinking. They're unaware of their thoughts. And if you're unaware of your thoughts, therefore, you can't control your thoughts. And if people can control their emotions, then the world will be less cruel. Very Confucius and it's mindset to improve one's to improve the world. You must improve yourself. All right. So you know when I was healing, I didn't have the sack of black rocks and white rocks. But what I did have was my notebook. You see, and for many years, many many years, every morning I would wake up and I'll write down five things that I'm most grateful for in my life. Every morning, physically. Write it down. It's not thought out. It's write it down. Every morning. 
What you're doing is this, you know, through meditation and practice of meditation, what it does is people think when I, I talk to our, our mutual friend, Curtis, about meditation before, and Curtis to, I just can't just concentrate on my breathing, you know, it's not just, <laughs> it's not just that. Let me explain to you followers why meditation is so important in your daily practice of life. If you believe in fitness, then you should believe in mental fitness as well. Yeah. If you're an entrepreneur and you wish to excel in entrepreneurship, then you need to be totally focused. Right? Being an entrepreneur, you have to be focused. And being focused, you make the right decision and not decision off of uncontrollable emotions. So let me explain how meditation works. So, you know, the brain is 95% subconscious. So that makes up 95% of your brain is subconscious mind, right? And you have 5% of your brain, which is this conscious mind, and that's divided by analytical mind. So what meditation does, your analytical mind, it, it processes data. It decides what's right, what's wrong, what is good, what is bad, whatever, right? It decides these things. So in war, in combat, it's deciding this thing at a rate and moves at a frequency. What um, meditation does, it, it slows down this frequency in the analytical mind. It slows it down to a beta wavelength where now, if you write down what you're grateful for, then it goes straight into your subconscious mind. And in time, what you're doing is you reprogram that negative mind to becoming a positive mind. There are science on this. You know, if you want to read more about it, you know, you guys, for your followers, if, you, if they want to hear more about it, um, Dr. Joe DeSanza, uh and uh, Tony Robbins, you know, they talk about it. You know, when I was in my process of healing, I was that guy with the headset in the gym. When everybody else is listening to music, I'm listening to what a doctor has to say. I'm listening about, you know, the, the practice of as of morning. Right. You know, like you said, Nikki, majority of your followers are entrepreneurs, right? To be a successful entrepreneur, really, you have to have a, a life of dedication, right? You have to have, you know, de uh, discipline, right? And it's not just about work. It's not just about your business. It's about being that full human being. All right. So let's just say for me, you know, being a Ronin, I travel around the United States. If all I care about was just teaching as an instructor, I can never be a true teacher. I can never be a true master of that skill. You know, because what a student seeks is deeper meaning behind the way of a sword, a gun, a knife, life, and death. You know, in order to see that as a human being, the experience life at that deep, at that deep level, you have to be able to walk through the valley of darkness. It's not just being a warrior. You have to walk through the valley of darkness. And that means, you know, being an entrepreneur, you have to keep on going when people doubt you, when people mock you, when people say that you can't. You have to keep on going when you're failing and don't understand why, but you need to extract the lesson of failure and apply that to the present moment for success. You know? So through my practice of peace, after my time in the military, because I found myself in that dark place, I became Ronin, a modern day Ronin. Now my wife and I, we drive around the United States. We teach law enforcement, major law enforcement, like the NYPD, um, 
Miami. We taught in Dallas on SWAT. So we teach at that level, but we also teach military and citizen. You know, our curriculums are very, sometimes I run uh, what's called Ninja Week, right? Well, my friends call it Ninja Camp, right? It's really funny because, you know, I teach the practice and the history of Bushido. I teach my students the way, you know, the way of the warrior, the mindset, you know, and I give them that through the practice of violence, right? Because if you're able to control yourself, right? And, 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 and that's the thing about the martial arts. You're able to control your true self, your emotion. You're able to control that. Then you will under, and you train in the way of lethality. See, wisdom comes from those that are trained in lethality, but realizes when to use it and when not to. And that comes with wisdom. And that's what I give my students. You know, so my wife through the United States teaching, um, we, we have been on TV, the History Channel. I've been on three seasons. I co-hosted a TV show called um, Knife or Death. Um, I'm a playable character on, uh, you know, the uh, popular video game Call of Duty. You know, we, um, yeah, we, so we, we travel around America now. And, you know, what's really unique, Nikki, is that in my darkest moment, you know, let me explain my, my two darkest moments in, in, your, in my life. My first darkest moment in my life was when I was eight years old, right? And I, um, I had to go to school and, you know, people were making fun of me. And um, my, my Vietnamese name is very hard to pronounce, you know, it's, it's uh, pronounced, you know, and people can't pronounce it. So I say it's too lamb. You know, substitute teachers, they have a hard time pronouncing my name, you know, and I hated substitute teacher days because, you know, I already got bullied, but that allows other students to kind of pick on me, you know, and they call me chink and, you know, slant eyes and all, you know, I, I, I get picked on really bad on substitute teacher days. I hate it. Let me explain to you on this, on this day, because you need to understand it's through the struggles, one finds their true strength. So, you know, I was eight years old and I was being picked on and um, the substitute teacher tried to pronounce my name and it antagonized all the other kids to make fun of me. They threw paper at me, spit on me. Substitute teacher got fed up and he told me and the bully to go down to the principal's office. So we went down to the principal's office and the principal said that you need to sit here and your parents are going to come pick you up. You know, my mother didn't have a car back then, so I knew I was going to be sitting there for a while. The bully mother showed up first and she demanded to know what's going on. And the principal told her that her son called me a chink. And she walked over and, and she made me look at her. And she told me, I don't belong here. And her son is right. And you need to go home to your country. You know, I, I, I tell you, Nick, I was so defeated that day, man. You ever cried so hard as you, you hyperventilate? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was crying so hard. I was hyperventilating that day, you know. And the principal told me, if I'm going to cry like that, I need to get out in the hallway. So I did, you know, I went out in the hallway and I cried. And, you know, my mother never picked me up. But, you know, I came home that night. My mother knew there was something wrong with me. And she told me, she told me that day, there'll be bad days. But what do you learn from these bad days? Let me tell you what that day taught me. And I was stronger than hate. Amen. You know, so it was through the struggles that I chose 
higher purpose. I got tired of being this weak human being, but instead of victimizing myself, I chose purpose. I took that pain, I converted it into something meaningful, you know? So that was the first changing moment in my life. And then the second changing moment in my life was when I realized, when I opened up the book of five rings and I realized that I found this answer when I was 11 years old. See, sometimes in life as adults, we comp, we complicate our lives, you know? And if you just think back to the simplicity of being a child, because, you know, let, let me explain why it's so important to look back on being simplicity, being a child, because we didn't have greed back then. We didn't have pain, selfishness. We didn't have all these baggage that we do now as an adult. Back then, it was pure. So if you can look on the energy or purity, then that's your purpose. You know. So that's my message to uh, to you today, man. It's uh, if you ever want to be anything great, you ever want to be, you ever want to serve a life of purpose, then you must first walk through the valley of darkness and through the pain and suffering, it gives you a deeper meaning in yourself. And then it's your choice to take that life lesson to either make meaning or to victimize yourself and trap yourself in that dark place. And that is Bushido. And that's the way. And that's Ronin. So thank you for having me on today, Mickey. I, you know, I appreciate you allowing me to share that. Brother, i tell you something. Uh, I'm a professional interviewer. I interview people. That is... Uh, a time where I asked one question and a beautiful flowing story came out and I was mesmerized the whole time. I felt there's nothing else I should ask. There's nothing else I should add. And I sat there and I learned. So I appreciate you. And I appreciate you sharing that with me. You know, this year I co-wrote three books. Uh, I wrote a book. Um, there's a reason why I'm telling you this. I wrote this book with a fellow who owns uh, Business Networking International Canada, The Power of Connecting, How to Activate Profitable Relationships by Serving Your Network. I wrote a book with Wayne Allen Root right now called The Great Patriot Protest and Boycott Book. And then I've written a, co-written a novel with a man. And it's been a fun experience doing all these things. I love to write. I happen to express myself well in writing. Two, I'd like to co-write your life story with you, brother. Uh, it, it's, it's, oh, yeah. yeah, I would. I would. I think we should talk about it offline. Um, what is, what is just, just so I know, what does co-writing mean? Basically means both our names are on the book. <laughs> and in, in, in your case, the story is going to be yours. Uh, and uh, a lot of what you've said today, you and I would, would, would talk about offline, obviously. And I talk to you periodically and then I'd write, I'd send you a chapter and, you know, we'd get it ready. But I think you got a heck of a story. You've got a heck of a following. And um, this is a story that can go beyond your following, in my opinion. So that's yeah. something that appeals to you. I'd very much like to talk to you about it because it'd be fun. I love to write and I love great stories like this. So it's, it's great. So that's you know, what, what's really cool, Nikki, is like, I mean, this is the modern day American story, right? We, we you, OK, so you said this. You, you said, hey, man, you know, this macho image, right? You said that first you know, the image of it being a macho person, right? Masculine, but yeah. And you know, what? what is really weird is that people look at me 
masculine, right? And people look at me and they see masculine, cheesy masculine. But when they talk to me, right? Totally opposite. I talk about compassion. I talk about discipline. I talk about being a good human being, right? The thing about when we talk about being American, right? I hear it all the time. Being American. Did you forget what being American is? You know, because you haven't, you know, you, because it happened to you. And, and every American, if you think back, somebody in their family tree made the sacrifice, made that commitment, made that journey over to this country, suffered the same things that you and I suffered, right? Being accepted, trying to be an entrepreneur, trying to make it in this world, trying to speak a different language, right? But it happened to you. It happened to me. I'm just sharing, I'm just sharing my American story. And it hopes that we shouldn't forget what this country is made up of, you know, and we shouldn't forget what Americans about. Amen. Amen. I mean, your, um, your story is incredible. I mean, there's so much richness to it. Being a young boy and being on a boat. I mean, you were actually part of the Vietnamese boat people that escaped after the fall of Saigon to the North Vietnamese communist regime. And you had a tough adversity filled portion of that journey just to have the right to be able to get off the boat into a refugee camp. And then from that refugee camp to America, to me, I've gone through nothing like that. I've gone through my own things, but I've gone through nothing like that. And I'm listening to you. I've read about people that went through that, but this is the first time I had a conversation with someone who actually went through it. And it touched my heart in a very deep way. And we're living in a time right now, and not just in America, not just in Canada where I live, but all over the world, people are looking for purpose and for meaning. And a lot of people are wondering, you know, even as entrepreneurs, how do I take my desire to create a business and tie it into a deeper purpose of who I am and what's the kind of person I want to be remembered as? What's the legacy I want to leave with the world? And you've shown. I think through the example of your story, a way that someone can do that. And I really, really appreciate that. And that's why I said, you ought to write your book and let's talk offline, see if you might be interested in doing it with me. Cause I, I'd love to do it with you. It'd be a fun side project for me to take on, but let me, let me move the conversation and steer it toward business for a moment. Okay. So you left the special forces and you were in a tough period in your life. Once you left, but you found a way to go within, discover maybe even for the first time your own real inner strength, not just as a as a fighter who can fight outside in combat, but as a as a human being, as a man. And and you brought that into the work that you did, and you created a very successful company. I mean, Ronin Tactics is very well known in, in, in the world that you operate in. You designed this gorgeous knife for Spartan blades, which I got to tell you, it's it, it's kind of like a little mini cookery in some ways, right? I got though. Thank you. And 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 you've created financial success for yourself and your family. So, if you wouldn't mind, please share how you tied your journey and your discovery of your strength within into a purpose-driven business that makes a lot of money. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a journey, 
right? You have to have faith in yourself. A journey of a thousand miles began with a single step. And that, that philosophy came out of Lao Zhu. And Lao Zhu was a philosopher and he was the emperor's record keeper. But what he is really known for, he was the founder of Taoism. And Taoism means to live in harmony with the universe, you know? So first you have to find peace within yourself. So whatever battles you have within yourself, you have to find peace because um, emotions cloud judgment. All right. So you as an entrepreneur, you have to have total focus. Right. So the first thing you do is you have to have total focus and dedication to what your vision is. And you need to write down what that vision is. I mean, gosh, what is Ronin? You know, when people ask me, like, what what is a modern day Ronin look like? Well, people can tell you it's it's me, two lamb, but what was that vision? You know, when there was no such thing. You know, so and you you need to be original, right? And be creative and, and allow your art side of you, the creative side of you to express who you are internally, you know. So that's the key to being a creative business. But you know what the special forces taught me was this through chaos, through the conditions and circuit, it doesn't matter. It didn't matter if I start, I did go. I have gone 10 days without eating in the special forces when we were doing evasion uh, and resistance training. We were running away from dogs that were trying to capture us. You know, it was part of our training. And you would go days without eating and sleep. You know, so I'm used to working in that um, discomfort. So that's another thing is you have to you you have to welcome the discomfort. You have to understand that, you know, in order for you to be who you want to be, it's two o'clock in the morning and you're freaking tired and you're on your third cup of coffee and you have two more hours to go. You need to ask yourself. Do you want to be a fucking commando today? Because that's what it's going to take to be an entrepreneur, a belief in yourself a drive in the right direction. Now you can drive in the wrong direction, right? And that, that can totally destroy your company. So how do you drive in the right direction through intelligence? You need to have intelligence. You need to be able to research your uh, your field or your, your vision that you're in. You need to look at competitors. You need to look at who you can uh, take in as a, uh, as a man, right? Even from afar, you know, just kind of look at what they're doing from afar and seeing their process, you know, and then uh, come up with your own course of action. Like, you know, what are you good at? What is your abilities? What are you dedicated to? What is your time? What is your finances? What can you implement into this company? And all of that needs to be consolidated into your intelligence, right? And then once you, let's just say for me, when I got into the tactical industry, the first thing I did was... Um, I study who was the key players in attachments or who who's who's successful. You know, and why, why, why are they successful? What's their background? What made them successful? And what is their advertising look like? And what's their training curriculum? What's their merchandise look like? You know, so I study, 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 study. And then I came in with my abilities. Okay, I had this experience. I know this amount of knowledge. I could run these type of classes. Um, what you have right now, you know, your capabilities. You know, and don't quit just because people are opinionated and just understand this too. You know, you're gonna have people to judge you and that's and that's normal because you have to understand that not everybody's brave enough to walk that journey of a thousand miles.
Don't mind him, continue on your path. You know, about 10 years ago, I was part of um, uh, a circle of uh, entrepreneurs. And we were all at the time very new and not doing very well. There was one lady in there and I remember her, her name was Ritu, Ritu Basin. She was, uh, she, she was a lady of Indian background, East Indian background. And I, I was talking about running into some haters even back then. And I was not known at all in any way. And she just looked at me and she said, screw the haters, screw the haters. And, and that made such powerful impression on me because I, I never thought of it that way. For whatever reason, I, a part of me almost believed that they were right. And then I'm like, yeah, screw the haters. That's their opinion. Let them have it. They're entitled to it. It's a free country, but screw them. I want to clue you in something I really learned recently. Um, you know, so every year as an entrepreneur, I go into two professional development classes. So I enroll myself two professional classes only for me every single year. Being an entrepreneur, I want to continue to develop myself either through a leader, an entrepreneur, spirituality, whatever it is, right? Yeah. Um, about a year and a half ago, I enrolled into Tony Robbins seminar, you know. And and I, I want to share this with the viewers because this was a significant breakthrough for me. You know, Tony Robbins broke it down into, you know, every human being has four moral values, right? Four moral values. And whatever you place first in these moral values is I'm going to tell you who you are and, and, and who you're going to be in life and you're going to be ever happy, fulfilled, whatever. And these four moral values he placed in significance was one, significance, high standards. And then he had uh, certainty. You have to be certain of what's going on. Uncertainty, you're working in that uncertainty realm or love and compassion. Out of all those three things, what do you place as a driving force in your life? Um, love and connection, be I think truthful. for me. Love, and, truthful, connection, love and connection are the one I'd like to say would be number one. But if I'm being completely honest with myself, yeah, it's probably significance. Okay, so tell me this, Nikki. Nick, tell me this. Are you a successful entrepreneur? I'm relatively successful. It's not as successful as I want to be, but no, but I do okay. I do okay. How old are you, Nikki? 54. 54. Look, look, look at the physical shape you're in, right? You look great. Thank you. You take care of yourself, right? So this is the thing is this. You have a very high standard. Well, let me explain to you. I had a very high, I, I have a very high standard all through my whole life since I was eight years old when I was defeated. Right? I live a life of discipline. But let me explain to you and 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 let me explain to all your viewers that that play significance first. You'll never find fulfillment. You'll never find happiness. There's always going to be a void, that dark space. You're always going to have your bad days. Because let me explain why to you. If I have such a high standard on myself, yeah, I'm going to be a very successful person. I'm going to be physically fit. I'm going to be uh, successful. I can't fight in fame, whatever, right? Because I dedicate so much time to that higher standard. But I will never find fulfilling. You can see this in Hollywood. You can see this in, in, in my industry. I can see it all through. And I'm pretty sure you can see it in your industry. The thing is this. You'll never find 
happiness because you're placing significance there. So you value the way that you look. You value the, your standards. Your standards are so freaking high. So if your standards are high. You must value what other thinks about you. Yeah. You must care what other people say because you're standard. You see? And that's a fail war. That's a fail war because you know why? There's always going to be people that talk bad about you. And the more successful you get because you're going to be successful because you're significant. You'll never be happy because people can always talk about you because you play significance first. Now, uncertainty, certainty, you know, I, I kind of throw those out. because didn't really play in my world. But let me tell you how love and compassion is. Man, love and compassion, man, you know, and that's coming out of Tony Robbins seminar, I replaced significance right away. I replaced significance with love and compassion. So let me explain how I replace it. Somebody says something negative about me, if if they don't believe in me, if somebody something didn't go my way, let me tell you how love and compassion plays in. If somebody says negative about me, first thing I do is, wow, I forgive you. And I I, I, I look at there, I look it through the eyes of compassion. You must be hurting if you're if you're getting online saying this stuff. I forgive you, but I'm not going to allow you to insult me. So, I forgive you, but I move on. You know, and that's what love and compassion did. Think about what I did. Instead of stewing over a hateful comment, I have no control over. I forgave and I let go, and I continue on my day unaffected. You know. Think about that power as an entrepreneur. Powerful. Powerful, right? And then think about the power of meditation to be totally in that moment, focused, where you have no emotions. There's no emotions there. There's no hate, no pain, no judgment. And can you imagine if you just did what I told you to do? If you analyze that intelligence that you gather with no emotions, think about how clear your vision would be towards business decision making would be at a whole new level that's right that's right i still have significance i just don't place it first anymore i still have a high standard i get up at 4 30 in the morning i still you know do what i need to do to have that that life the, the high standard but i just don't place significance first anymore well i appreciate you sharing that with me that's good yeah people talk about oh man you know you know you don't know everybody's gonna like me I forgive you and I move on, but I know my purpose is stronger than your hate because I said to myself at eight years old, I'm stronger than hate. Now, I'm going to write that down. I like that. I like that a lot. I journal too. I write five things I'm grateful for every day too. So I'm all over that. That's right. So you know this process works. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Love and connection are very important to me. Uh, as well. And I do want to have them be number one. The truth is I haven't had them be number one. That's just me being completely honest. I, I tell you, it's practice, man, you know, and, and this is how I practice every day. Every single day, the first thing I do is I, I show love to God. I show gratitude because that's tied to love and connection. Right. I, I express to my wife how much I love her. You know, um, I'm kind to people. You know, I'm polite. So those are the practices of love and connection, right? Gratitude, kindness. Yeah. And gratitude and kindness, what does it give you? Fulfillment, happiness. So you're going to die this happy person and not a significant, wealthy, 
lonely, defeated, in mind human being. Say, because the outside means nothing. It really does. You know, part of my gratitude practice every morning, I write down the names of the 10 people I love the most. Um, My two sons, Kayvon and Kamran, my mom and dad, even though my dad's passed on, I still write about him and think about him every day. My ex-wife and my my lady that I currently work with, and she actually, she works with me and she's also a coach for Tony Robbins. So I've done a few of Tony's courses too. And uh, oh, beautiful. Yes. Yeah, it's good stuff. My my two brothers and um, my good friend, Mark. Mark is a Navy veteran and he actually used to work for Tony Robbins as well. I should connect you with Mark. You two, you two men would get along real well. And then my best friend from childhood, Mike. I write that down every day. And usually... What else I, I, I write down that I'm grateful for is I write down, I'm grateful for all the incredible friends I have in my life. And I spend a moment just thinking about a few of them. And then I, I, I think about all the people I know, you know, uh, think about great people like Curtis, like, like Ernie Emerson. And, uh, and now that I know you yourself, I, I just think about that. And when I think about that, this, it's funny, amazing things happen. Connections get made. You know, wonderful opportunities come forward, and, and it's it's truly a beautiful thing. Truly a beautiful thing. Now, I appreciate you sharing all this with me. So, so too, we we like to end off each and every episode by asking you a very specific question. We ask you to give us what, what we call your three expert action steps. So these are like three pieces of advice on specific steps people can take to make their life or their business better. So what say you, what are your three best pieces of advice for my listener? Start with discipline. When I say life discipline, it's not just entrepreneurship and and work. Be that person, be that human being, be that son to God, be that father, be that husband, be that, because that is going to bleed into your entrepreneurship. Trust me. Right. Because now your entrepreneurship is tied to a moral value. Right. So be that. Don't just look at a a, a business thing. Right. And in discipline, you know, when I talk to uh, entrepreneurs, I said, build a life discipline. He goes, I do. I get up and I work towards my business and I work all night. So you never dedicate a life to balancing yourself. So it, it has to be start with Discipline and discipline bleeds in personal discipline bleeds into your work ethics discipline. So discipline, build a life discipline. The second is mindset, right? Choose a mindset that's going to set you up for success, right? So for me, when I was a young warrior, when I was a young warrior, I chose the mindset of combat. And with that, you know, I only saw the worst in humanity. Because day and night, I'm training in the arts of war and combat and killing. So what positive energy is that going to bring you? Right? So what I'm saying is that you have to make a choice of what kind of human being you want to be. Right? So do you want to live this this life of being a negative person? Because, you know, I see it all the time. I, I've been around. I have friends that, you know, we wake up. It's a beautiful day. The birds are chirping. Sun's out. You know, we're eating. We have a beautiful home. And, I, you know, I have friends that came over and they're like, oh, man, I was stuck in traffic all day. It's freaking coffee's cold now. And, you know, I'm just so sick of it. You see? Yeah. 
He made a choice. He made a decision to live a life of negative. If you want to live a life of, of, of being positive, then that starts with a mindset. And that starts with a choice, right? Because God's given us a choice. We're different from any other. Animal. I can choose to be happy and fulfilled. All I have to do is just exercise the practice every single day to do this. And that requires discipline. Right. So make a choice. So for me, I made a choice, you know, uh, after my military career to go against everything I was taught as a warrior. To look past uh, to look past that warrior mindset of fire and hate and war to, to, to kill off that energy through love and compassion. Because I made a choice that I want a life of fulfillment. Right. So you got you you have to make a choice, right? And and people are like, well, I want everything. Then that's fine too, you know, because you know I'm a successful entrepreneur. I I had a whole life of being a warrior. Now I'm a very spiritual man. I'm very happily married. I'm a teacher and instructor to many. So I I am that balance. But you have to find that in yourself. And let's just say this. Let's just say you you, you wake up and you you have a negative mind. You, you look at things negative. You still understand this, that that's, that's a normal thing. That's a, that's a human instinct. We are bred it that way since day one. We look at all the negatives because naturally we're programmed that way because as um, primitive human beings, you know, we had to survive in these jungles back in the primitive days. So we're always looking and scanning for the negatives. So through the progression of time and evolution, we still have that skill. That's, you know, that same programming. But the difference now is there's no saber tooth tiger that's going to kill you. What's going to kill you is social media and what other people feels about you, your failures, your struggles. That becomes now your fight or flight. Yes. Right. So it's, it's up to you if you can deal with it. And if you want to deal with it, then it requires discipline. It requires a practice every single day. So the first one's discipline. The second one, you need to make up your mindset. You need to make up your mind on what direction you want to live. And the third one, you know, it goes back into the teachings of Ronan that um, there's more than one path to the top of the mountain. You see this path to the top of the mountain, that path top of the mountain is where you want to be. Now, let me let me explain this because don't be so narrow sighted where you want to be. I explained to my students, I said, so at the top of the mountain, where do you want to be? And they're like, oh, I want to be this really successful entrepreneur. Now, look deeper than that. At the top of the mountain is your final hour. As you're laying in your deathbed and you reflect on your life as a sick old human now laying there dying in your final moments and and, and you reflect in life those that is the top of the mountain and the top of the mountain is did i live a life of purpose and am i dying as a good human being because all the materialistic crap and all the externals don't matter anymore that's the top of the mountain so don't be so nearsighted let's just say you and i walk the same path as a wearer Right. You and I, we walk that same path and the same, same units, the same assignments, same missions. You see, the difference is this. Your takeaway is going to be different and my takeaway is going to be different. Yes. So it doesn't matter the same path. Each individual in life has their own path. And you have to find that path. Right. So don't be so uh, crystified by going 
that's the path because this guy became successful. He became successful because he that's his path. Do not mimic the same path. And in the end, the top of the mountain is fulfillment in your life and in yourself at that final moment. Nothing else. Cars, riches, fame, it don't go with you. So that's the top of the mountain. And that's what I want people to realize. You're living your life for that final moment. Because that's the way. That's Bushido. Then let me explain why that's Bushido. The way of the warrior is to live life in every breath. So those are my top three. Brother, those are three awesome expert action steps. So if folks want to find out more about what you do and Ronin tactics and all that, what's the best place for them to go do that? Now, I know if they want to buy uh, a Ronin Shinto blade, they can go to Spartan Blades USA or their local knife dealer like I did. And, and that's great. But how do they interact with you? How do they come and find out about the programs you offer? What's the best way? Yeah, so uh, you can catch me on my website at ronintactics.com. You know, you can see our um, inventory of gear that I designed. Um, all of this are gear that I have personally designed um, in manufacturers. So that's a running tactics gear. We also, um, you know, allow um, our classes. We, we have online classes um, that we post on our, our website that people can purchase. Uh, it's it's um, the Art of Budo, uh, the, the teachings of samurai through a way of gun, blade, empty hands, um, tactics, and strategy. Um, so I, I teach the, the teachings of a modern day samurai through the experience of a modern day special forces warrior. Um, so you can capture that on our website. Along with that, you can see our schedule. Um, um, we do travel around America a lot. A lot of our training, uh, people book out for years. Um, but the public ones that I, I make public, you can see uh, on our website, on our training. Um, you can capture us uh, on uh, our Instagram um, at Ronin Tactics. I um I connect a lot with my uh, my followers there uh, with philosophy and daily motivations and uh, practices that I do, you know, and I find that, you know, me sharing my practice in meditation and strength training and mindset in a daily basis, it has helped out a lot of entrepreneurs and, uh, and professionals and also people that are, you know, are victim to some kind of traumatic event, you know. Uh, you can capture us at, you know, Facebook too. And uh, we're on Rumble and YouTube. YouTube, we, um, I, I like to share a lot of my uh, release of new uh, equipment and design and also reviews on certain weapons. And I also do a lot of my philosophies and, uh, you know, martial arts uh, teachings on, on YouTube as well. So you can capture me on all those platforms. We'll make sure we put all that in the show notes. Uh, absolutely. So there'll be ronintactics.com. Your Instagram handles will be there. So will your uh, YouTube, Rumble, et cetera. Uh, I like using Rumble myself as well. Uh, yeah. Most especially because it lets you say what you want. You don't have to worry about getting a strike like you do on YouTube sometimes these yeah. days. So it's good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I'm a huge fan of uh, some of the work that you cited that you read. The Book of Five Rings is one of my favorite books. Uh, I read A.G. Yoshikawa's book, Musashi. I don't know if you've ever had a chance to read that novel, but it's uh, it's wonderful. Long book, <laughs> that's okay. for sure. Let me see. 
that one, right? That's it. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. I love it. I love it. It's a great book. It's a great book. Yeah, it's awesome. I, I want to share this with you. So um, when I was in Japan, I went to Masashi. So after my time in war, uh, I went to uh, Redondo K where Masashi wrote the book of five rings, you know, they did a whole article. They, uh, they had a journalist follow me. And um, these. Uh, oh, wow. Japanese um, uh, maples. I have a bunch of them here. These were from his burial site. Wow. Miyamoto Masashi. Yeah. So Man, that's cool as all get out, brother. <laughs> for you, that's amazing. Huh. Yeah, so a little story on that is, you know, I went into Masashi's cave where he wrote the book of five rings. There's a huge rock where he wrote that book, you know, and I, uh, I, I got up on the cave and my wife, it, it was very weird because this is a tourist site. But that morning I went there, nobody was there, you know, and um, my wife uh, allowed me time with Masashi in the cave. And, uh, you know, Masashi and I, we, we um, I said my words to Masashi. And I closed off um, the warriors um, there. So when I uh, when I walked out of the cave, um, that's when I became, you know, the modern day Ronin. You know, that's uh, the teachings that I give the world. Yep, so Brother, that is too cool for school. That's awesome, man. Look, we're going to do a few more of these. Right. I really enjoyed this conversation. So if you're game, let's definitely have more and deeper conversations about these subjects, because. I love talking about philosophy and I love sharing this with the folks who listen to the work that, that I do. You're an amazing man too. I'm really grateful for you taking the time to be with us today. And um, that wraps up another exciting episode of the podcast, The Thought Leader Revolution. To find out more about today's incredible guest, the one and only Two Lamb, go to thethoughtleaderrevolution.com or go to wherever you check out your podcast, be it on uh, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, where have you. All the information about how to get in touch with him is going to be there. Make sure you take advantage of it. Definitely buy some of his gear, take some of his courses. I'm definitely going to do both myself. And um, to find out more about some of the work that we do uh, in East Circle Academy, go to eastcircleacademy.com. And if you enjoy this conversation, you have a friend that really needed to hear its message, do me a favor, share it with that friend. Send them a link saying, hey, I got something good out of this conversation. This two lamb cat knows what he's talking about. I think it could help you, especially if someone's going through a rough time in their life right now, because God knows around the world these days, there's a lot of folks going through rough times. Don't be stingy. Be generous. Share the link. Make sure that they get a chance to listen to it and benefit from them in their life. You never know whose life you could be saving. You never do. I've heard of people saying to me, I listened to this guest and it took me away from putting a, a gun in my mouth from pulling the trigger that's how valuable this can be to another human being so go ahead and do that if your heart tells you there's someone who needs to hear this message until next time goodbye this episode has been brought to you by eastcircleacademy.com the proven system to add six to seven figures a year to your thought leader practice 